0: Good morning everybody. If you would please, in your Bibles, turn back again to 1 Corinthians. We're going to keep going from there. In a poor way, because there's no way I can follow what went on here the last week or so. We just finished a a great gospel meeting. And um, I learned a lot. I think all of us that were here learned a lot. It was really wonderful for them to be here. Um. And actually, it was uh, very fitting, uh, many of the conversations that I had with uh, Brent and Barry while they were here, very fitting for what we're reading here in the Scriptures. And also what we're learning in the morning class about uh, God uh, through Jesus and His service to those that were around Him. Paul has been addressing divisions in uh, in the congregation there at Corinth. He's also been addressing uh, the very specific things that cause them to divide. It could be sexual immorality, um, and there are many different things uh, with marriage and, and things like that that are causing them to move against each other and to divide and not be the congregation and the people of God that they're supposed to be. And so Paul's not going to stop. He's going to keep going. He's... He's going to give this discourse starting in chapter 8 of another divisive example in Corinth. And that if we will have, and if they will have, the mind of a servant, then division simply will end. I think in our day and age, we we look at division as something that just happens, right? Something that just people are going to do. It's something that, that we have to put up with. Uh, people are naturally going to be that way. But for Paul, he let them know that the mind of a servant could end all of that. And as I read chapter 8 and I got to the end of chapter 8, I, I didn't want to stop. I found no stopping point. As a matter of fact, I read uh, from chapter 8 and verse 4 to chapter 10 and verse 28. And it, it seemed to me, and I hope I'm not incorrect about this, but eight four through 10.28 is this discourse of Paul regarding this particular um, example that he is highlighting. And so today we're going to actually traverse uh, basically three chapters from Corinth, because uh, that seems to be the whole discourse of Paul regarding this idea of servitude and this idea of deference to those who are weaker. Deference, rather, to those who are weaker. And uh, please note while we're doing this that, that Corinth is a very rich commercial haven. It is a city uh, with prosperity, with ease. It is not unlike the kind of lifestyle that you and I enjoy today in the United States of America, even here. Uh, you know, probably if somebody asks us, are you poor or are you rich, uh, many of us would say we're poor or we're in the middle or something like that because we do everything with money, Right. Um, we are incredibly rich, uh, even with money, with regard to what the rest of the world is like. And so we are very much like this kind of, of a group. We are very much, or we can be, very much like this group <laughs> at Corinth. And we can notice then that there is a relative ease uh, of trouble in that kind of situation. When we find ourselves in our comfort zones, when we find ourselves at ease, we 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 sort of build up this confidence within ourselves even even in arrogance and I, I wanted to illustrate that by a a conversation that I had with with Barry whenever he was here um He was just recently fired uh from the congregation that he was preaching at and um and I looked at him and I said "Fired and he said, "Yes, fired." <laughs> And I said, what were you fired for? And a big smile came across his face, you know. And he said, uh, you'll love this. And he said, um, one of the leaders there took him to, to a room and talked to him. And he actually told him, and he was chuckling while he was saying this, he said, You're, you have too many Bible studies. He goes, you have so many Bible studies that you are not visiting the sick people and the old people the way that you should. And uh, Barry said, he looked at him and he said, is this a joke? Are you kidding me? And he said, no, this is not a joke. I'm not kidding you. Uh, that's We are not pleased with the fact that you have all these Bible studies and you're not taking time to go, as, as we think you should, to go and visit those who are sick. Of those. And he, he Barry said, he looked at him and he said, how much of that do you do? And Barry said his response was, that's what we pay you for. And Barry read to him from Acts, the sixth chapter. And it still didn't change anything. Where, of course, the apostle demands, they're not supposed to be serving tables. Their job is to preach the gospel. And they don't, they don't have time for anything else. Now, would this man have fired the apostle? Peter, would the, Would Peter have been, you know, fired with it? Why, well, yes. You know, we live in a day and a time and an age. The answer is yes. We live in a day and at a time and an age um, where we believe things on this level, don't we? And uh, Barry said that he told him, I'm not your employee. And I certainly am not your your gopher for everything that you yourself will not do. And so that was the end of it. And Barry uh, had tears in his eyes, and he looks at me, and he goes, "I didn't even get to say goodbye." He said that next uh, that next Sunday it was it was done, it was over. You know, he was not able to say goodbye. He was not able to say farewell. Uh, he just had to leave. And then in the same conversation, he looks at me and he goes, "Things are strange sometimes." He goes every time something like that happens to me, I go and I get coffee. He goes, I went out for coffee. And he said, the young preacher from across town, he goes, you got fired? That's great. (laughs) You know, he says, maybe you could come over to our congregation. And Barry goes, well, no. They're paying you as a full-time preacher. They probably can't afford two full-time preachers. And he goes, oh, you're probably right. I didn't think about that. And he said that uh, as they walked out of the coffee shop, one of the elder's wives happened to be there. <laughs> um, she was walking down the street. Small towns, so you know how it is. She was walking down the street and she saw the young preacher from the congregation where she is a member. And she said, What are you two guys going doing together? Oh, we're having coffee. Barry just got fired. <laughs> and she looked over at him and she said, You did? And she goes, and he goes, "Yeah, we were talking about maybe both of us could work together at the congregation, but you know you guys are already supporting me full time and wouldn't be able to swear and she he said, "Are you leaving town, Barry And Barry goes, No, not right away And she goes, I need to make a quick phone call." She calls her husband, who's an elder of the church there yeah he was this is the elder's wife. I think I said that did I say that <laughs> Elder's wife called her husband. Uh, Barry was called back before the day was over and they said, we can commit to one year. And he goes, you work like you do all the other time. And he goes, we'll probably have it a lot longer. And so Barry moved four miles down the road. He gets to to keep his house. He said he walked in and his wife looked at him and said, I don't have to pack? And he goes, no honey, you don't have to pack. (laughs) I mean, what do you see there? You see the the lack of servitude in brethren who are supposed to be leaders. And you see the love between brothers that they hold together as brethren. And then you see the providence of God all in the same swipe. In a 24-hour period, it just goes... (laughs) And yet, we still don't seem to understand how powerful God is and how important it is that we are servants of the Most High God. I mean, it's incredible. And what a, what a wonderful indication. What a wonderful indication. What, what we see there. And, and, and then again, when we look at 1 Corinthians, it's not what we see. And Paul pointed it out. It's not what we see there. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 8, Paul keeps reiterating these quotes like the all things are lawful quote from 6:12. But this time he says all possess knowledge. I look at that and I look at what Paul is saying and he's saying, you know, we all we all know stuff. <laughs> And notice, Paul doesn't say knowledge is a bad thing. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say knowledge is a bad thing at all. He just simply points out that everyone has it, but there's something that we have to do with it, because if we don't do the right thing with it, it puffs us up against one another. And we start firing one another. And we start saying bad things towards one another. And we start treating one another in ways we're not supposed to treat one another. And so Paul has already given admonition about fornication. He's already given admonition about marital considerations that they were not considering the way that they should. And now he's going to move to just straight up intelligence and then wisdom. Everybody has knowledge. Everybody has intelligence and wisdom. The question is, what are you doing with it? And this is what knowledge does so often to us. It puffs us up. Knowledge is good, but but what is it producing? What is it producing in us? What is the knowledge that we have producing between us? What is it doing for us? Because much of the time, it's wounding consciences. That's what Paul says it does. Look at chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through through whom are all things and through whom we exist." However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother mm-hmm. stumble. Now again, in this sermon, I unfortunately can't get very specific. It would take so much time. And since I see the whole message here from 8 through 10 being very similar, I wanted to concentrate on what Paul is acknowledging generally here. He's just quoting and letting them know and letting us know what the problems are in Corinth. <laughs> these quotes obviously come from the words of brethren who have issued them to Paul, wondering what the, you know, what his answer is to all of these things. And so he just keeps on quoting and he's telling them this division that's arising between you is because of those who think it's sin to eat, uh, food sacrificed to idols, and others who know it's no problem are doing it, and then there's this, this disjointedness. There's this disagreement. As a matter of fact, I find it interesting that those who are weak here by Paul, he says they're actually being inclined to do what they think is wrong because of those who possess knowledge. This is a very interesting point to me, I think. And it's very strange that we have this power. And I think this is an important thing that we should take from what Paul says here, among other things, of course, which I'm not covering, but this, for this purpose and this lesson, I think it's strange that we have the power to cause somebody else to sin just by performing what we know. That's a very interesting point. Something that I think is very difficult for us. But it is a human tendency for people. It's a human tendency for people to want to be around others in spite of what they might be doing. That's very interesting. We do that out of respect. We do that out of love. We do that out of honor. Because we may honor, love, or respect somebody so much that we will do whatever is necessary to do to be around them and to be accepted by them. So Paul instructs brethren that those who are in that position, that possess that knowledge, that have that respect and honor and love from others who want to be around them, they have to be have the mindset of the servant too. They have to have the mindset of the servant. They have to understand the weakness of others. And therefore, they are to abstain from activity which might cause the others to stumble in their faith. Now that could be anything. And Paul tells them in chapter nine what that looks like. Now again, you give most preachers chapter nine, and they're going to sit there and go through the entire chapter to let you know that it is authorized in the Bible to pay the preacher for preaching. <laughs> okay, and that's fine. That is a lesson that you can pull from chapter nine. I do not believe that is the primary lesson that Paul pulls from chapter that Paul is describing in chapter nine. Okay, While it is something that we can learn from there, Paul now is following this this discourse in chapter 8 with his own example. He's illustrating with his own life. He's going to tell them, I'll tell you what that looks like. Just so you know what it looks like. And so 1 Corinthians 9 should not be studied or taught separated from the context of chapter 8. Okay, it's a, one of those terrible divisions like, like uh, Jared was talking about this morning. What a horrible place to put a pause. You know, It's just, it's just awful. Okay, uh, Paul is continuing in 1 Corinthians 9. He's continuing with this personal illustration of his. And notice that he does it for 18 verses. And I'd like you just to kind of look over those 18 verses before we move on. Just read about what he's saying. Look at what he says there. Look at the illustration. He is illustrating that even though he has certain rights, he is not exercising those rights. Even though he has certain expectations, and Paul does, he has certain expectations and certain rights, uh, and those haven't been fulfilled, Paul doesn't make an issue of it. And I think that's incredibly important. His right to be supported in the gospel is his. And even Barnabas. They have a right to be married if they want to. And and they don't. And you look at that and you read about that. And he understands that. He knows that the brethren understand that. Even from the law of Moses, he quotes there in those 18 verses. This is appropriate. Notice though, verses 15... Through 18 specifically. But I have made no use of any of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting for necessity is laid upon me. What is he saying? Those of you eating meat to idols, emboldening those of weaker faith to eat food to idols even though they think it's wrong, they think it's a sin, stop doing that. Don't do that. It's not important that you do that. It's not important that you cause division over something goofy like that. Eat the meat from somewhere else. Uh, you know, you know, whatever you need to do, just do that. Do not weaken that brother or sister's faith by what you know you're allowed to do. And he says, I'm allowed to be married. Do I do it? No. I'm allowed to be paid for the gospel of doing what? No. Especially you, Corinth. Isn't that what he told you? You're rich. I mean, you have everything. It would be easy for them. I'm reminded of that elder from that other church, you know, he says, well, yes, we are supporting a full-time preacher, but we can work it out, you know, (laughs) where we can support you for a year, and then maybe at the end of that year, we can keep going. I mean, that's the way he's supposed to think. That's the way Corinth should think. What is that money sitting there for? For us to look at? For us to hold in case there's an emergency in 50 years? Is that what that money is sitting there for? See, the brethren, they, they, they may have been like that at Corinth. Is that what that's supposed to be? No, no, no. No, no, no. Paul says, but even though you don't do that, <laughs> that's okay. I am going to defer to you. That's the lesson. Even though he has rights, even though he may have expectations, he is not going to take advantage of those because it's better not to make an issue out of these things so that he can teach about fornication, so that he can teach about proper marriage, so that he can teach them not to divide. The bigger issue, the greater war to fight is what Paul is focused on regardless of what he has to defer to or what he has to endure. What a beautiful lesson. And notice the passage there in, in 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through 27 Look at what he says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I become all things to all people. That by all means, I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I may share with them in its Blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I should be disqualified. Now, did that mean that Paul had a six-pack and could run five miles in, in you know six minutes? You know, or something like that? No. That doesn't mean that at all. That means he is keeping himself focused on the goal and the prize, which is saving some. There are some out there to save. He knows he can't win them all. (laughs) He's not saying you win them all. He knows that. He knows the truth. But that's the end of division, Paul says. That's how you end division among brethren. That's how you end bad marriages. That's how you end fornication. Is you start to become all things to all people. (coughs) You know, Barry was over here and he said, I tell you the way I treat my wife. I tell her to tell me what her desires are and then I command her to do them. Do you remember him saying that? When we went out to eat, I looked at him and I said, were you serious when you said that? And he looks at me and he goes, why wouldn't I be serious? And I said, because that's exactly what I read in 1 Corinthians 7 and I wasn't sure if I was right. And he goes, you're right. <laughs> and I was like, well, thankful. You know, thankful. And he goes, because... We don't have to be the boss of every little thing. He tells me, he goes, you know what, Joe? He goes, I have, I have this one lady that was so mad at, at her husband. Every time she had to do something, she had to call him. Can I do this? Can I do that? Hey, I need to text you because I need to go down the street and visit a friend. I'm Because I, I, that's what he required because he thought every little thing had to have his check mark on it. Yeah, you know? And I thought, are they divorced yet? And he goes, not yet, but it looks like it's going there. And I thought, what a, what a turkey that guy is. And he's like, yeah. He goes, he goes, we fight over everything. You know, when we're in bad marriages. We fight over everything instead of just being deferent. What do I care if you go to the store? What do I care if you, marry, you visit your friend? What do I care if you're going to get... I don't care. Don't cheat on me, okay? Don't kill the kids. And we should be fine. We don't like living in that. Knowledge puffs up. You know, you know, we want to, I want to be the boss. I'm in charge here. I'm the head of the house. Now, the head of the house is Christ. And you are a servant to him or you are nothing. And that's the thing that we must remember. That's the thing that we have to be sure of. Why do we fight as brethren? Why do we disagree? Why do we divide? well, is it over doctrinal matters? Mostly, you know, I've been alive only 50 years on the earth and I can't remember the last time I heard of a congregation dividing on a doctrinal matter. (laughs) I've seen them divide over personalities. I've seen them divide over pride. I've seen them divide over personal preference. All the things that were causing the divisions in Corinth, right? And more. And he is saying... Instead, become all things to all people. He's not saying endure sin. He's not saying I act like a Jew when I'm around the Jews. That was Peter's job for a while, right? And he rebuked him for it. So he's not saying that. He's saying I've become all things. I can sit and talk to a homeless man and somebody who makes $500,000 a year at the same time and I can talk to both of them about Jesus Christ and His salvation for them. I can do that (laughs) all the while keeping ourselves in subjection so that no one else is hindered in coming to Christ, because he says that facilitates our own faith. That's the same idea. I don't want to be disqualified. So this is who I must be. Discipline my body. Keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I can't preach about being a servant if I'm not a servant. I can't teach about being a servant if I'm not a servant. And yet we will look at each other and go, well, you're not the servant I think you should be. Just like that guy did, right? Cost a preacher the gospel his work at a congregation Because of preference, because of pride, because of puffed up. See, these are the things that still occur. We look at Corinth and we say, is that really still happening? You bet it is. And more and more. And we look at it and Paul tells us what it's supposed to be and what it's not. And when we look at chapter 10, this is the the same warning. Paul again, continuing. He's going to teach us about what idolatry is and what idolatry isn't. So he's still focused on this idea that he was starting with in chapter 8. So he tells the Corinthians, don't conclude that any exception to anything hinders the rules. Now I want you to look closely at chapter 10 there, verses 12 through 14, please. Look at what he says there. Therefore, lest anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved... Flee from idolatry. Why does he quote what happened at Mount Sinai? Why does he quote that? Why does he start with that at the beginning of chapter ten? Remember, we we remember that from the meeting, right? I shouldn't have to illustrate that. That was illustrated beautifully during the meeting. They all they all beheld the cloud of smoke. They all beheld the pillar of fire. They all beheld the Red Sea uh, splitting in half and they could walk across on dry land. They all beheld the manna that was laying everywhere so they could have their fill. They all beheld the quail that was coming out of their nose. They had so much of it. They all beheld all of that. They saw it all. They beheld the same miracles, the same manna. They drank the same water. But, look at verse 5 and 10. Chapter 10, verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Don't you and I walk around and go, man, if I could have manna all day, I didn't have to go to Walmart. I don't have to cook anything. (sighs) You know, you you hit a rock and the water comes out. You don't have to dig. I don't need an engine for a pump. I don't need anything. I just hit the rock and the water. Boy, that would be just heaven. You couldn't get me out of that place. No. No, that's not actually true. In the ease and in the convenience we would fail. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely incredible. In the ease, and the convenience, they failed. And so would we. See, the divided sides in Corinth, they thought they stood, but they were falling. They thought they stood. Why did that happen? Temptation overtook them. Their faith had become idolatry. Remember, that's what Brent pointed out. You know, the calf was God to them. We're still worshiping God just through this calf. No, you're not. You stopped worshiping God. You're worshiping the calf. And even though they tried to pretty it up, even though they tried to make it something it wasn't, it was still idolatry. Paul tells them they're doing the same thing. What a perfect illustration of how they are relating to idols whenever they are practicing idolatry themselves. and It's the perfect thing for them to look at. And Paul is saying, uh, you know, we all have knowledge of the truth, right? Again, look at those verses 12 through 14. We all have knowledge of the truth, but has that knowledge become our idol? We all need to ask ourselves that question. I know I do. I need to ask myself that question a lot. All of us do. Because the only way we can find an end to division, and the only way we can find peace among ourselves as brethren, is by deference. And I tell that to the kids who are learning driver's ed laws and stuff like that all the time. They're like, are you talking about defensive driving, Mr. Red? i like, no, I'm talking about yielding. When you're in that car, I don't care which lane you're in. I don't care which way you're turning. I don't care if somebody gets in your way and you are supposed to, you know, if you you have right, you have the right to turn right at a red light. You have the right. I don't want you to take it if somebody's trying to take it from you. I want you to sit there, take a deep breath, watch them go by, and then, you know, and then go. Even though it's your right to get on the highway, that doesn't mean you get to push people out of the way to do it. Yield to them. Wait. Stay out of the way. You know what they tell me? That doesn't sound like fun. I was like, oh no, it's not. But you won't be in the hospital. And you won't be in a box. And I won't be at your funeral looking in your your coffin and say, stupid. I did that one time. The poor parents, they didn't... Kid had died in a car. He wasn't in my driver's ed class, by the way. I just want to make that very clear. But anyway, he was was one of my English students. He rolled his car and he ejected from the window and he was flattened like a pancake. And I looked at him in that coffin and I just said, stupid. His poor mom and dad were right there. And I looked over and I was like, oh, typical Joe. And I said, I am so sorry. And they, they just, the dad patted me and he goes, we understand. He was always doing stupid things. And I hugged them both, and I said, I'm very sorry. And they're like, thank you. And and we walked on. It's just a a terrible situation, right? All because people won't defer. And this is what Paul is talking about. We need to learn to defer. And that's what he's saying there. Let's go ahead and read uh, the end of that chapter 10 together, please. Look at what he says. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing we bless. Is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord in the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All things are lawful. Here we go back to the quotes again, right? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Who's he talking to? Those who are worried about food to the idol, right? He's still talking to them. He says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are deposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And he's talking to the others as well. Look at what he says. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. He's talking to everybody. Everybody in Corinth needs to defer. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, Why am I denounced because of that for which I gave thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. It's an important, powerful message. Look at the beauty of what he's saying. It's not about what you're eating. It's about what you are truly ingesting. You know, just like in that morning class in John, when he was talking about eating his his flesh and drinking his blood, we're talking about having the Lord in us. He's our fuel. He's our purpose. He's our reason that we pull in air and push it out. He's the whole reason for it. That's exactly what this is saying. All is to glorify God. In verse 21 there is a stern warning, isn't it? You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. We can partake of both while partaking of the one. It's a very important distinction. And then again, Paul repeats, all things are lawful, right? But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. But not all things build up. So what? (laughs) So what do we do with that? What a simple fix. What a simple lesson. Forget the idol. Defy the knowledge about the idol, whatever your idol may be. All that truly matters is that you're not offensive to your like-minded brethren, because your job and my job is to, is to facilitate salvation, ours and others. That's our whole job. Now this evening we're going to look more closely at edifying, but for now, let's just suffice it to consider if any of us have taken liberty with our knowledge. And only you can answer this. I can't answer this for you. Um, you know, I don't read minds or anything like that. But if any of us have taken liberty with our knowledge that can puff up, we need to ask ourselves whom we have done that with. See, Corinth is not new or anything. All the congregations were like that. When you read in Revelation the problems that were going on in the congregations in Asia, it's very similar stuff. It's, it's, the, it's the same kind of idea. They need to look at themselves. We need to look at ourselves. When was the last time my knowledge puffed up and weakened the conscience of another? I can remember all the times that I did it. Even just recently. When was the time that that happened? Has it happened for your brethren? Those whom Christ for whom Christ died, as Paul calls them. You know, how many times has that happened? Only we can answer that. And I mean, we do it all the time. I remember a time when I would rather sleep in than go to morning Bible class. <laughs> you know, I'd worked hard the night before, you know, and I, you know, I'm not required to go to morning class, right? I mean, that's right. That's true. You know, am I required to be there? At nine thirty, so that I can hear an hour of study from the Bible? No. No. But is that knowledge become your idol? And kept you serving your pillow? And kept you, you know, serving yourself. Only we can answer that question for ourselves. And Paul is demanding that the brethren in Corinth answer that question for them themselves. Anyone who has knowledge about the Bible knows that the AM study, uh, hey, let's get technical here, the PM assembly. And don't get me started on Wednesday nights. I can't tell you how many times I have heard, well, Wednesdays aren't required. Yeah, they're not. Being saved and going to heaven isn't required either. You know, being being a good person is not required. You know, I mean, this is God's command, but you're at liberty not to do it. Is what I mean by that. All of us can do that. You know, we can say that. You know, well, Wednesday night, Sunday night. You know, that's the the, the contrivances of the human mind and not the will of God. And we can sound like a philosopher, like Socrates, standing on his soapbox or whatever, and speak all of these things that are so very truish. <laughs> But still, what are we supposed to do? Is it puffing up knowledge or is it knowledge that defers? Would we rather excuse ourselves? I tell you, I'm thrilled about that list. I told Jared this morning, I'm like, all these people confirmed with you? That's wonderful. <laughs> you know, it just it just feels so good to know that there are so many people That won't excuse themselves from worship duties, teaching classes, holding a Bible study. And because I always hear this, well, I'm too this. I'm too shy. I'm too, you know, busy. I'm too this or that. And I've always heard, well, I don't, I'm not able to this, that, or that. I mean, where is it written I have to do this or that in spite of my own inabilities and weaknesses or whatever? Right there. You know, that's, that's what. Paul was saying, and if that's not good enough, look at the parable of talents. I kept what you gave me. It's safe. It's still right here. And the master says, then you won't even have that. It's a very sobering message. And then what about who we are? You know, even in our own personalities. Deanna gets mad at me all the time. She goes, you can be so condescending. You know, you can be so insulting. If you feel righteously indignant, you know, and she doesn't use that, but that's what I hear in my head. She's like, if you feel righteously indignant, you can get cutting. See, that's what wise are for, I think. Because I'm like, yeah, I know, honey, I know, I'm sorry. But it's true. You know, we can do that. What kind of knowledge is that? It's knowledge that's puffed up. It's knowledge we think we stand on. But we're just being condescending and insulting. We're not standing on anything. We're being condescending and insulting. We're criticizing unfairly. We're not building up. That's what he says. Love builds up. As a matter of fact, sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we expect the whole of creation to exist on our timeline and our preferences. I defer back to that gentleman that talked to Barry, right? Well, Barry may have had a hundred baptisms that year. That guy didn't care. You know, Sister Jones, who's griping over there about not being visited by the preacher... That blows everything, right? No, it doesn't. Because her knowledge is puffy too. You see all the puffy knowledge there? That's puffy knowledge. And so this is the same idea over and over again. I've studied 20 times as much as the average person. I've thought of everything. I have foreknowledge and omniscience. Wait, that's God, not me. No, sometimes we think it's us. Sometimes we think we see everything, know everything, understand everything. Knowledge puffs up. Paul issues the challenge. Look at the challenges that he's issuing. And these challenges, do you think they surprised the Corinthians? I bet they did. I bet they were surprised by this. I bet they didn't see themselves at all as as puffed up and sinful and divisive. I bet they didn't see that at all. And I, and I hope it affected them. And it should affect us as well. And I want to go through this one by one. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 8-9. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. We've got to be critical of ourselves, thoughtful of what we're doing. Who you and I are, or what we can do, is absolutely immaterial relative to the needs of the weak, whom we may falsely identify. Well, I wouldn't talk that way to brother so-and-so. He's weak. But I'll talk that way to this brother over here. He's obviously strong. Who's omniscient? (laughs) Who has foreknowledge? Only God. So Paul says, don't think that way. You just edify. That's your job. If there's sin, you root it out. If there's false doctrine, you rebuke it. But everything else, you just edify. It's a tough thing for us to do. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 15 at the end of the verse. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Is it in himself? No. My ground for boasting, Paul is very clear, is in Jesus Christ. If I'm talking about him, I boast about him. If I'm talking about me, I'm nothing. So it's all about Jesus Christ. Can we say this about our actions? Can we say this about our speech and intents? I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of of boasting in Jesus Christ. And then look at what he says in chapter 9 and verse 22 at the end of the verse. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Can we give of ourselves, swallow our pride, swallow our need to be right so that some can be saved? Man, Paul just hits us again and again and again, doesn't he? In chapter 10 and verse 9, beginning of the verse, we must not put Christ to the test. Who did that? Pharisees did. You remember them? And John, you remember reading about them as well as I did in the, in the morning class? If you were here, you read that. The Pharisees were doing that. Do you want to provoke the Lord to jealousy? What a beautiful lesson that was during our lesson, Right? The Lord is jealous. How is He jealous? He wants you to text Him every 10 seconds so He knows you're still in love with Him. No, He wants to have this relationship with you and He doesn't want you to turn away from it. He's jealous. Are we going to provoke Him to jealousy because we love ourselves more? Are we going to provoke Him to jealousy because we think we can take Him out? (laughs) Are we stronger than He? Paul says that's exactly what we're saying. He wants an exclusive relationship with me. What wouldn't I do for that? What wouldn't I do? Think about it. God coming right through those doors. Jesus Christ coming right through those doors and looking up at you and saying, I want to move into your house. I want to stay with you all until the day you die. And I want us to talk about God and do things for God all the time. Are you with me? And you go, no, my show's come on at 7 p.m. You know? You know, my goodness, you know, I, I've got lunch dates into, into like 2019. I just, no, of course you're not going to do that. But Paul says we do that all the time. Look at this. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Chapter 10 and verse 24. Where's the exception? <laughs> Let no one. Seek his own good. No one. All the time? Well, what about me time? What about the time I want for me? Don't I need a little break? Don't I get to be, have my needs fed? No. No, because God is all in all. And if you're not all in all for Him, if I'm not all in all for Him, we have nothing. And yes, we can do those other things. It's not the point. But are we doing them for Him, with Him in mind? And ultimately, so that as many people as we meet might be saved. We, we're not perfect. <laughs> you know, people aren't always going to respond to us. They're not going to walk up to you and go, Hey, I hear you're a Christian. Will you have a Bible study with me? Boy, wouldn't you love it if that happened? It doesn't happen that way. And so, even though it doesn't happen that way, though still, are we striving that as many people as we know, neighbors, friends, coworkers, whoever it is, I mean, these are challenges. But they are worthy considerations. And they're worthy goals. And they give us eternal hope. Not just for me, but for everybody else. What's our answer to that? We know what Corinth's answer to that was. But what is our answer? Here at Eastridge, all of us. What is what what are we going to do? To whom can we defer? Because God's waiting for that response just like he was waiting for the response of Corinth. They were dividing over every little thing. Every little thing became law, everything every little thing became doctrine. Every little thing became uh, you know, soul damning important stuff to talk about. No, it isn't. No, it's not. No, it's not. We all need to know the Lord better and better every day. Yes. I do, and you do. But what do we need to do with each other? Edify. That's what we need to do. And God's waiting for our response to do that. He's waiting for you to be baptized into Christ if you haven't done so for the remission of your sins. And He is waiting for those of us who have been baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins to strengthen one another, to edify one another, to do all that we can. Because there are some that might be saved. Again, what a, that, that doesn't sound like much, does it? It's like, okay, there are some that might be saved. Is that such a great promise? You bet it is. You bet it is because you and I, we get to be the people who do it. We get to be the people who find it. That's very exciting. And even if we don't do such a great job of that, we get to be the people that pray for it. We get to be the people that encourage others who are doing that. It's a very simple idea, but it's very hard for us to execute sometimes. So the lesson is for you, it's for me, it's for all of us. If anyone has any need, whatever that need may be, please, please don't wait another moment. Let these people know here if you have any need. While we stand together, please, and while we sing.